Hi, Cherise here with a special announcement. You can now enjoy select episodes of Detailed in video form. That's right. Detailed is now available on RCAT's YouTube channel. Now, you may be thinking, I already listened to the podcast. No need to watch it on YouTube. Well, trust me, if you don't want to miss out, even if you're an avid listener of the podcast, the video format is a completely different experience. Not only is it like hanging out with us, but you also get to hear parts of the conversation that were left on the cutting room floor. You can also see the photos, drawings, and video as we discuss the incredible projects that are featured. Come join us on YouTube. Follow the link in our show notes, and let's get into the details. This is an original podcast by RCAT. Try the number one most used website for finding building product information and save time and money. No registration is required with RCAT, so try it today and get ahead on your next project. Visit RCAT.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. Visit RCAT.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. This is Detailed, an original podcast by RCAT. I am your host, Sharice Lakeside, Senior Specification Writer at RDH Building Science and fondly known as the CSI Kraken. We will speak with professionals who share their insights into the most complex, interesting, and odd building conditions and the ingenuity it took to make it work. Join me as I pull back the curtain on the building industry and uncover the lessons learned. You'll gain valuable knowledge to help you better navigate your next project. Welcome to Detailed. Today, I am joined by not one, but two guests, both partners at Bushman Dreyfus Architects in Charlottesville, Virginia. First is Tim Tessier. Tim enjoys his role as principal at Bushman Dreyfus Architects, working across a wide range of building types and scales, as well as varied client groups from small mountainside cabins to community centers. I want a small mountainside cabin. As an outdoor enthusiast, Tim strongly believes daylight, views, and connections to the natural environment are essential needs to building occupants. At the center at Belvedere, Tim worked closely with the client group and design team to ensure the building excelled in meeting the programmatic needs while highlighting features of the surrounding site. Second is Jeff Dreyfus. Jeff is a founding principal of the firm and has been involved in a number of civic and nonprofit projects since the firm was started 30 years ago. His work with the Senior Center began in 2009, starting with the analysis of several potential sites, then leading to detailed building programming, assisting with fundraising efforts, and shepherding the overall design and construction process of the new center at Belvedere. If you hadn't guessed it yet, the project we are going to talk about today is the center at Belvedere in Charlottesville, Virginia. The center at Belvedere is a new model for how we rethink what a senior center is supposed to be. Modern design, daylight-filled spaces, and spaces for outdoor programming create a place where people of all generations want to gather, see, and be seen. With programming intended to keep members engaged mentally, artistically, and physically, it creates a model for active aging without the stereotypical trappings of what design for seniors should look like. 
The design team worked at every level to ensure accommodation of the physical and cognitive challenges that come with aging. And one of the true successes of the center is that it does so quietly, without calling attention to those accommodations, all the while creating a center that has appeal across all sectors and ages of the community. And I want to say I love that because I have been in senior centers for members of my family, and they are not always the most appealing places to visit. Before we even get into the specifics of the project, would one of you like to explain to our listeners what is universal design? Universal design at its most straightforward is designing for all groups, regardless of age and regardless of ability or disability. So universal design is accessible to people of all different abilities, all different ages. So let's talk about the center at Belvedere. What's the story behind this building? The history, goals, aspirations, um, what got you to the place of working on this building and, and what were you trying to accomplish? We were approached by the Senior Center of Charlottesville, Albemarle County in 2008, actually. And they were looking to expand their 17,000 square foot facility. They couldn't really grow on that site. And so we started studying a number of sites. And what we learned in the process was that the executive director then, who is also still the executive director, was nationally known for his pioneering work with senior centers and his clear belief that healthy aging will extend everyone's lifestyle if we are socialized and are able to participate in community, regardless of economic constraints. The executive director's goal was to create a place where older adults could come, learn, engage with one another, and really find community to get people out of their homes, get them active and engaged socially, mentally, and emotionally. We had the opportunity to visit the center at Belvedere and speak with Melanie Benjamin, Director of Philanthropy. I think one of the important things to know is the vitality of people who walk through the door here and what sort of impact people can offer at this stage in their lives. And this isn't last chapter stuff. This is next chapter stuff. That's what the center tries to help people manifest in themselves. Again, this is not about giving people things. This is perhaps tool building, connecting with others. For me, that's the most important thing that we do every single day. Senior centers in general across the country had and still continue to be thought of in some ways as daycare centers for older adults. Whereas the goal here is a true community center for active people. And part of what we instilled the project with as we grew to understand this mission more and more was a building that was ageless. You know, why is a senior center supposed to have valances over the windows? Why are they supposed to have traditional furniture? Is it because it's what you think your grandmother is supposed to enjoy and, and want? Instead, we thought of we, who were still at the time not necessarily uh, eligible for membership at the center, but what kind of space would we want to go to? 
And what we created was a very modern, very open, very airy place with lots of activity, lots of opportunities for socialization. And in the long run, a building that that makes universal design invisible or design for disabilities invisible so that never do you get the sense that this is a place for people that may have challenges because they're older, but it's a place where everybody goes and everybody feels comfortable and welcome. By design, the center wanted to bring in outside groups and resources and places of interest for people who weren't necessarily members of the center. And so it's a 47,000 square foot building and 4,000 square feet of that on the ground floor right at the parking level is a health medical clinic uh, run by our local Centera um, hospital. And that's open to anybody. The openness and welcome that is built into this structure. It encourages behavior. Um, so not only do we have an amazing community of people who look to welcome other people to build community, but this building sort of has these open arms. And as you walk through the atrium, you get that feeling again, because again, the first thing you see is the outdoors through the back. And it just has this welcome to it. It's the reason I walk through the front doors. I could walk through the side door to get to my office and go up the side, you know, stairs and avoid everyone. But I don't. <laughs> I don't do that because um, there is joy in somebody recognizing you and calling you by name and smiling at you and saying good morning. Who doesn't want that? And by design, this building is on common walking paths from the adjacent neighborhood. Uh, there's an entire community of folks just down the road that pass by this site regularly. So if you if you drive by, you will see people walking their dogs. What's also fascinating is we left a portion of the site as an open lawn that was tagged as a phase two development, which would be a gymnasium and a fitness facility. And once again, the idea was that folks nearby who wanted to come in and play a game of basketball or have a ceremony or, you know, use sort of multi-purpose active space like that would be able to do so. And and I will add that even in its current phase one configuration, the auditorium has been designed as a multi-purpose uh, room, which is serving them quite well. They've brought in various music groups from the Charlottesville community. Um, it's great for banquets. Um, I believe there were notions of possibly hosting weddings there on the outside tent lawn. This is really a multi-function, multi-purpose building for everybody. And, and I think they've done a great job of achieving that. You um, mentioned something in, in the notes that you sent me about the project, the wayfinding and the solar power. Can you tell me a little bit about those two things? I'll talk about wayfinding first. So we enlisted an outfit called Lifespan Design. Uh, they're based in Ohio. And this is Doug and Ellen Gallows, who have an expertise in creating environments for aging folks, providing dignity to those folks. And so really, when the project was started, we all met as a design team. And this included our structural engineers, our mechanical engineers, not the folks you would typically think of being involved at the outset. And they gave everyone a list of design goals. And a large part of that was cognitive requirements where 
building users would be able to orient themselves easily and quickly without any moments of confusion. And this starts at the scale of the site when you pull in. One-way drive aisles, for example, are highly confusing. We didn't want people to get turned around and not realize they were driving the wrong direction. This goes to recognizing where the front entry is. Uh, you know, we have a large uh, welcoming canopy where it's very clear this is where you you go. And so in terms of wayfinding, this is sort of site-specific orientation. And then as you step into the building, the very first space that you're in is this large two-story atrium with a bridge across showing where the second floor is. The welcome desk is right there in the center. And essentially, the building design is a pinwheel, if you will, of, of two arms of the building. And the concept here was that we have oversized corridors, which are essentially the street that you get to enjoy traveling along as you move between programming spaces. And along that street, um, rather than just doorways to rooms, we have benches built into those doorways so that if you're meeting a friend for a class, for example, that you could sit and hang out and sort of wait or talk to somebody. And so you know, what goes along with that is there was the desire for visibility to see and to be seen and to know where you are sort of at all times. And so as soon as you're walking down this street, you can look in and see, oh, that's the art room. That's right. I'm in the right spot. I really appreciate the effort to address wayfinding. I wish every building would do that. I, I get lost going to the bathroom. <laughs> I am not kidding. I don't know what it is. I was just born directionally challenged. Solar power for nonprofits. I found that sentence to be interesting. I mean, you know, we talk about solar power a lot in a lot of projects, but why is it different or is it different for a nonprofit or is it just different because nonprofits typically can't maybe afford it? Tell me about the solar power. I'll, I'll um, answer that quickly. So what's really unique and interesting, and I don't know if this is still the case, but at the time, nonprofits could take advantage of what is called a power purchase agreement, I believe it's called. And essentially, the bottom line is they are renting out their rooftop space to a local utility company to put solar panels there, but at the same time capturing the benefits of powering their building. And so beyond the cost of installing some extra conduits and some, you know, rooftop pads to handle the um, wear and tear that might you might see from walking around to maintain these this array, the cost to the center was minimal, just a kind of a win-win situation for everybody involved. And the center was very clear from the beginning about their sustainable design directives. So... I think this was a highlight of the project is that they're producing, uh, I think it's 50% of the energy that they need they're producing on site, which is just amazing. Well, and I imagine um, if they're a nonprofit, that that's also far more cost effective. Correct. What were some of the design challenges that this building posed that you had to work your way through to get get to where you wanted to be? As Tim mentioned, we have an auditorium, which was by design intended to be a multi-use space. Now, you know, the old high school cafetorium serves nobody well. It's neither a cafeteria, it's not an auditorium. And we understood that from the start, and so did the client. But this town does not have an abundance of performance facilities, good artistic performance facilities, music performance. 
And part of the programming for the center includes a 70-piece orchestra, a tap dance group, a number of performing arts groups. And so the auditorium was a major component of their programming. It was also intended to be a profit center for the facility so that they could rent it out. And um, there are a number of music organizations here. And so we were tasked with making this multi-purpose room excellent for musical performances while also serving well for banquets and lectures. Oh, fine. <laughs> Acoustically, you're going to do one well and not the other, or you're going to strike the balance. And we were charged with striking the balance. And we had a very good acoustician, and it was a real challenge. And I think that everybody's in agreement that the resultant space is what they had hoped for and a bit more because performers love being there, bands, singers love being there, uh, lecturers feel comfortable there. One of the real challenges, as always, is the mechanical system. And I'll be honest, right now, we are troubleshooting some mechanical noise in the auditorium. We thought we had it figured out with the design, but once they were in there, there's a bit of mechanical noise that's not desirable. And so we've got to, it's imperative that we get that fixed. So going along on the same lines of acoustics, acoustic isolation throughout the building was key as well. Being able to divide the auditorium off into two distinct spaces that could be used separately was also a challenge because in order to have an acoustic partition of any real value, they're costly, and they never are 100% acoustically sound. So educating our client on the limitations of what that would be were important. That The 70-piece orchestra could not be rehearsing while you had a meditation group right next door. <laughs> and they, they understood that, and they program accordingly. So that was just a continual conversation throughout the entire project. But the other huge challenge here as always, but in particular with a nonprofit, was budget. And we had a client who wanted the world and understood that they wanted the world and they understood that they couldn't afford it. But what that meant was through the entire process, design and construction, we always had a list of what's our wish list, what are the anticipated costs for those items, and by what date do we have to make a decision whether that is a go or a no-go. and an example of that is we had a number of ad alternates to the construction documents. One of the main features on the exterior of the building is a sunscreen on the, we have porches that face both east and west. And they're very important for solar control to limit heat gain on the interior of the building and also to avoid bird strikes. But it was something that could be cut. It was something that if push came to shove, the client knew they could live without it. Uh, there would be some cost for that. So the decision to build those was not made until I would say 30% into the construction project. Oh, wow. So it was, it was actually a, a lovely challenge um, to, to work so closely with a client who wanted to be that involved in the process and, and make the best decisions they possibly could. I did public school work for years early in my career, tw over 20 years. 
And so I'm, I'm very familiar with how much you're trying to fit into a budget and pulling the trigger on certain decisions at the 11th hour because you don't know if you're going to get there. I have to know. So you talked about dividing this auditorium space. I have to know, what. how did you divide it? What physical thing did you use to be able to divide it? A folding partition, a very heavy-duty folding partition Okay. that stores into the, the adjacent walls. And it serves their purposes, but it does not make for two acoustically separate spaces entirely. Yeah, I don't know that you could with anything that isn't permanent. You really can't. We researched this. When you get to a certain level, if you want to go any higher with acoustic isolation, there's a major increase in cost. And so we we explained our research to the center, and so we basically opted for the best we could do at that lower price, and we included an alternate to go to the premium version, but we never <laughs> we never needed to go that far. And I, I would say that from what I hear in terms of feedback of the use at the center and the programming adjustments that Jeff mentioned, they're they're doing just fine, I think, with that partition. Yeah, I would I would imagine the programming <laughs> that that 70 piece orchestra probably just needs the room all to themselves, I would guess. <laughs> it's a testament to your space that a group like that wants to rehearse or perform in a space like a senior center, that they would even consider that you must have done a pretty darn good job on that space. Tim, were there other design challenges that you had to tackle? To speak a little bit to the HVAC challenges that Jeff mentioned, we had this wonderfully great and airy building in schematic design with really big plenum spaces to do all kinds of easy duct work and piping through the building. And we hit our budget crunch and we said, okay, well, we can take some space out of these plenums. And so it put a huge task. Kevin in our office did an amazing job working with our contractor friends and their subcontractors to literally model every duct, almost every pipe, even electrical fixtures to make sure that everything could be squeezed into the available space. And... Part of the compromise with crunching the building down, as Jeff mentioned, is I think we ended up with a few air handlers on the rooftop, major ones serving the auditorium, just slightly too close in terms of duct runs to the actual space. And I think that's what we're hearing right now is some of the fan noise from those units. And the challenge is, and we've done theater projects before, so we do understand this, is just making sure those units get some degree of isolation from the space they're serving. And so glad to say, when working with our acoustician and our mechanical engineers, we've identified duct silencers that can be inserted in lieu of standard duct work to reduce those sounds that we're hearing. So I think, you know, it's probable that we could have done that at the outset, but some of these things you you learn after you get in the space and you start to understand <laughs> what's going on. Again, did a lot of work where you really have to work. There, there's just no room to move outside of a budget that you have, but you want a beautiful building. And so I think that when you're working in that kind of environment, sometimes you have to get really creative. So I, I would like to talk a little bit about the products that you use to accommodate your design. Um, what what kinds of things did you use both on the exterior and interior to make this a unique building and still, you know, not blow out the budget? You're right. For the sake of simple, clean design, we like to minimize the um, 
amount of different kinds of materials. And so from early on, we settled on a kind of metal skin. And one of the goals of the center was not to have an industrial kind of look to the building. So that was really important in the kind of materials we used. So we used a metal skin that actually came in panels to give a nice tiled look to it. And we worked very closely with the sales rep in this particular instance because they were able to give us excellent advice on the installation of that material in terms of the fact that once you start the paneled system, you can't really pull a piece out while, you know, in the middle of the field of panels. You, we needed to be very careful with who installed it, how it was protected. And so those were really great, helpful feedback from our, our sales guy. The center also wanted to be clear that it needed to be a welcoming kind of building. So the metal skin in and of itself would probably not have really achieved that that well. I mean, large expanses of glass were great for drawing people in. But as Jeff mentioned, we have these canopies with um, louvers and we also have sections of the building that have wood. You know, when you hear wood as a nonprofit, uh, you think about the dollars that you'll have to spend to maintain it, to stain it regularly and to deal with, with that material. And so we opted for a heat treated, thermally treated poplar boards that essentially when they're baked, the starches in the wood crystallize. And so it's decay, rot resistant, insect resistant. And, you know, all wood is going to want to go gray in the sunlight. And so we were careful about the color that we used for the stain. We actually chose a nice warm gray. And the idea was that, you know, these boards are going to gray out eventually. And we don't want to be looking at a building that has, you know, the face of the building not facing the sun is is some kind of brown, you know, warm brown color. And the other face is turning gray. And we don't want to have to keep maintaining these to look the same. And so I think that was a really good economical choice for the long run, as you mentioned, Sharice, in terms of actually maintaining and running the building. Outside of the solar, any um, energy efficiency considerations with your with the skin of your building? I know it gets really hot there in the summertime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, I think our primary energy use seasons are in the summer. So cooling the building is of, of main concern. And I think, you know, largely design the orientation of the building, the louvers that we use to reduce heat gain. We have deep portico porches where we have most of the glass at the entry to cut down that solar gain. But in terms of the skin, Charisse, we have continuous insulation, which is good to have in terms of really eliminating thermal bridging, right, of your framing members to the outside cold air. So we have a nice thick mineral wool that covers the entire buildings, the metal framing. And then we have an air gap there so that, you know, the air behind those metal panels can breathe and move. And that also does a, a really good job of not trapping temperature differences, um, you know, behind the skin where you can't see what's going on. And we had a, you know, fluid applied water barrier, which I think does a very good job of eliminating any air movement through the wall system, which once again, that can be a real energy problem, not only an energy problem, but movement of moisture, you know, warm, moist air through the, the wall cavity is what you really want to avoid. You talked about working with your manufacturer's rep for those metal panels, and I can't say it enough, your manufacturer's reps are invaluable. Yeah. 
I can't even begin to, as a spec writer, list how many times they've saved me incredible amounts of time and, and incredible amounts of risk. Because there's no way any one of us can know every little thing about every product. It doesn't matter how good we are at our job. And in utilizing those product reps really can save you, especially on your more complicated systems on your building in installation costs and defects in so many ways. So I, I just got to give a shout out to all my product rep friends because I really do. I, I think we could do a better job of valuing them more than we sometimes do. Absolutely. Jeff, so tell me about the inside. Again, it was it was a budget building. And in general, the materials were what we know and have come to expect in a budget building, drywall, some acoustical tile. In the auditorium, we used plywood for acoustic baffles to warm up the space. An inexpensive way to do it, and it worked really well. But my real story about the interior is the age-long battle of clients that believe, oh, we'll just leave the concrete floor and we'll save some money. I hear this coming already. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> um, we have sprung wood floors in the spaces in which they're important, um, the athletic rooms, the exercise rooms, and in the auditorium uh, for acoustic purposes. We have some carpet tile in some locations of the building, but throughout, in general, it is a concrete floor that the client continued to say, we'll be fine with. And we, very early on, had the conversation with the contractor about protecting it. Well, in the end, they didn't protect it so well that even in the entry area, there were hydraulic lifts that were there that left stains because of a fluid leak or something scraped across the floor. And at first the client was very upset about this, that what they weren't getting was, you know, a pristine concrete floor. And we had talked about the challenges of that all along. And the fact that they did not have, we talked early on about the additional cost to seal it early, to polish it, to do everything we could they didn't want to spend the money. They just said the contractor needs to be careful. Well, the contractor was careful, but it's a construction site. So when it comes time to move in, there was a lot of concern about the floor. And we talked about a variety of things that could go over the floor. And finally, the client had a bit of an aha moment, which was, you know what? Let's just move into the building and we'll, we'll think about it a year from now if it still bothers us. Within a month, they didn't care what the floor looked like. Once it was furnished, once it was up and running, nobody was down looking at the floor and the floor has patina now and everybody loves it. So it was a difficult conversation many times through this process. For cost reasons, we didn't treat the floor the way that an exposed concrete floor should have been treated knowing that it was going to be exposed in the end. but. Fortunately, in the end, that little bit of imperfection was something that they were perfectly fine living with. At the end of the day, although it's a universal design, it is also a senior center. So there is a somewhat of a focus, at least there. And, and you talked about a quiet design where there's not big spotlights on the accessibility features. And you start talking about concrete, and I'm starting to think about slip factors and how hard a concrete floor is and how 
you know, it's, it's my mom recently fell and, um, broke her arm all the way up the top of her arm, stepped off a curb wrong. Uh, you know, it's, it's a different animal, just maybe quickly a few accessibility things that you addressed in this building and still kept them in your words, quiet. One of my favorite examples is the staircase. Uh, we have six inch risers and is it 11 or 12 inch treads, Tim? 12. And this is even in the fire stairs. The, the building, given its layout, as Tim described it, there's a central atrium with a large open staircase in the middle of it. And then at opposite ends of the building are fire stairs, which are used regularly um, instead of walking back to the atrium. And those fire stairs also have six and 12 rise and run. And the number of people that comment on the gentleness of those stairs it, it's kind of astounding. You wouldn't think so many people would notice it. The other thing on the staircase, is each staircase has two handrails, one at the required height. There's a variability in how high it has to be. I think we put it at 36. And the other, Tim, is, am I right, at 32 inches? 30, maybe. Yeah. So two handrails, because as we get older, many of us get shorter. <laughs> and so that staircase is comfortable for many people, and it's not just a stride issue. It's, it's a height issue. Another interesting thing that we learned from our, our friends, the Gallows Lifespan Design Studio, early on, we knew that this building needed to far exceed accessibility requirements. And when we were talking about bathroom layouts, the Gallows said, fine, we'll have one, handy, one ADA accessible bathroom. It meets the letter of the law. Everything else is going to be better than that. So, well, what do you mean by better than that? And their comment was, the code requires the grab bars be horizontal. Right. And as they pointed out, that is not the most comfortable angle by which to pull yourself up from. So all of the toilet stalls have grab bars on both sides, but they are, I believe it's a 15 degree angle that angles down toward the toilet so that as you are pulling yourself up, it's much more comfortable. Nice. I, I never would have thought of that. Yeah. Ellen Gallo is a gerontologist, so she, she certainly brought a lot to the table for this one. Yeah, there were a number of other items, slip resistance for the concrete, but also glare. With the amount of daylight coming into the building, there was a lot of concern about glare bouncing off of a, a sealed concrete floor. So we had, to, we had to think about that. Then also, as we get into talking about uh, differences as we age, Contrast and pattern were a very big topic of discussion when it came to carpets or tiles. The disorientation that some people experience when looking at patterns that have a great deal of contrast or that are very busy. So we toned that down a lot and um, everything had to go through the gallows, but we also had endless sit tests for every piece of furniture that went into the building. How easy was it to get out of? How comfortable was it to sit in for any length of time if you're listening to a concert? We also had discussions about design uh, for bariatric considerations, chairs that are larger than normal because we are aging and as a society we're getting larger and some of us as we age get larger. So making sure that there were 
accommodations for people that weren't your average Twiggy size was was part of everything, every conversation we had when discussing furniture and furnishings. So if you were the master of the universe, since you're both men, it's master of the universe today, and could make just one change in the industry, everybody had to follow it, no choice, make one change in the industry to improve our built environment or the way that we work, or it doesn't matter. You can go small, you can go big. What would your one your one wish be, your one change? Tim, you want to go first? Uh, sure. I actually believe we get the best results in our built environment from hearing all voices and really listening well. I feel like on this particular project, the client group was amazing. They had such great things to offer involving our aging experts from Ohio was just critical. I, I even find that our contractor friends, subcontractors had so much to say about how to put things together. And I really strongly believe that an attitude of teamwork and really good communication um, on these sorts of projects, you know, actually even the acoustician, he's still involved now. He's gifting us time to help figure out this rooftop issue with these mechanical units. And, and everyone's so bought into this project really from the beginning. I, I honestly believe that's what makes these projects um, so successful. <laughs> the thing that makes me a little sad is that you have in, in a working in a business where nothing gets done in this business without all of us. There is no player on mm -hmm. our teams that is more important than another one. It's not going to happen without all of us. You think we would be better at that communication and teamwork than, than we are and not, not be as stuck mm -hmm. in our silos. So I'm going to hope your wish comes true. And I have to, I do have to give a shout out to our spec writers. Phil Cabza, our spec writer was amazing. We're a firm that's small enough where we don't have dedicated spec writers. And he is just was a wealth of information. So I highly recommend firms of our size of a, you know, smallish medium firms to really rely on those sorts of folks in addition to the uh, product reps. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Shout out to the spec writers, of course, because we're the most important on the team. Just just in case anybody yeah, wasn't exactly. clear. Um, okay, Jeff, you get to be a master of the universe. What would your one change be that nobody could argue with you and they had to do it? Mine's easy. Uh, every building would be fully solar powered. It would make the difference for our environment. It would make the difference for all of us. That one change would go a long way in helping even those that don't have the luxury of being able to build. Another one that you would think we would be there already. Yes. <laughs> But, you know, keep fighting the good fight. Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing this project. And I, I know a lot of people are walking away going, wow, I never thought about that because I'm sitting here thinking the exact same thing. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you, Sharice. Thank you, Sharice. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more, Visit rcat.com forward slash podcast to see photos, details, and more related project and product information that we discussed today. While you're there, take a look around rcat.com. For over 30 years, rcat has been the resource for AEC professionals to find the right products for their project. Try rcat and see how their tools can save you time and money and help you get ahead on your next project. 
visit rcat.com. That's A-R-C-A-T dot com. If you enjoyed the show, you can support us by subscribing, leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and sharing this with your friends. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back to share more stories and lessons learned to help you navigate your next project.